Hey, homie, I'm getting tired of dudes just getting over on the raza. Yeah. This is for the raza. This is for the raza. Yeah. This is for the raza. Greetings, dysfunctionals. Dr. Ernesto here with another episode of the Reality Dysfunction. Today we are talking with Daniel Sosa III, a dear comrade from my matchup Brown Beret days who now lives in his hometown of Saginaw, Michigan. Danny runs a community center there that is still open and provides essential services to the people in the neighborhood surrounding the center. Danny comes from a long line of Midwest Chicano activists. His father, Daniel Sosa II, was a longtime city councilman in Saginaw and also a member of the Brown Berets in Saginaw during the 1960s. In the 1990s, when Danny and I were at Michigan State together fighting for a Chicano studies program, he was one of six students that undertook what turned out to be a six-day hunger strike to force the university to honor the United Farm Workers' Great Boycott. Well, let's get to it and see what's up back in the Machingan homeland. Danny, spell out the name of the of the community center you work at. Um, Samaritas is uh, S-A-M-A-R-I-T-A-S. The title is Samaritas Community Center Saginaw. Okay. The old name of the organization was Lutheran Social Services in Michigan. Okay. Uh, but they changed their name a few years ago to, to Samaritas so that people didn't think you had to be a Lutheran to take advantage of their services. Okay. Uh, but the name comes from the word Samaritan. Okay. Samaritan and Tas, you know, state of living, so living as a good Samaritan. All right. So Do you know the story of the good Samaritan, Todd? Uh, yes, you know I know the story of the Good Samaritan. <laughs> uh, we, we have like an organization-wide pastor. Well, he's gone now. But he did this whole thing about Samaritans and the relationship of of them with, you know, the early, you know, the whole the whole backstory of it, not just, um, you know, the, the short story you, you hear all the time. You know, you like how they, how they were like half Jews or like, they yeah, descended from Jewish yeah. people or whatever. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. You know, it's 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 not just a you know. Well, they didn't get along with with them. It was there was a lot of different issues going on with them. It's an interesting story. So, Danny, you're at Samaritas Community Center in Saginaw, Michigan. Uh, you're the executive director. Technically, you know, just director. I don't have the executive in my title. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Do you get paid yeah. more if you have the executive? Uh, I don't. In, well, in higher in higher ed, I know you do, but okay. You know what? At our organization, I don't. I don't think. I don't think that's necessarily something that holds true. So, director. Okay. Hey. So. Yeah, I don't think we have a lot of executive directors at all. Uh, think about it. Okay. Is the community center that you work at is that part of a larger chain uh, not like a chain but like a network of community centers not a network of community centers but uh it's a department within a division within an organization okay so the department is community services so within community services you have uh, affordable living you know a lot of the four affordable living homes are geared towards 
young people in foster care or who were in foster care, you know, the foster care system, when somebody turns 18, I mean, that's it. The, the system is done with them and they, you know, so when you look at homeless populations, uh, a significant amount of homeless uh, people, almost all youth are, are former foster care uh, kids. So we operate those. We oper operate at-home services, like if uh, somebody qualifies for home chores through DHHS, uh, one of our departments finds a worker for them to come in and help them. Uh, they also operate group homes for, multiple, for people who have disabilities um, who need to be like in a group home setting. Okay. Uh, and that's kind of community services in a nutshell. Uh, one of the more interesting things is that it also includes us. It also includes a, a site called Heartline, which is right in the city of Detroit where Cesar Chavez Academy is. Um, okay. it, it's actually like door-to-door -door with them practically. And right. That's for women re-entering the criminal justice system who have been on, uh, who are on parole, who are on, um, not work release, um, kind of like a halfway house. Yeah. Uh, so really interesting. Is uh, Chavez Academy in Southwest Detroit, is it still down there on Verner? Highway? Uh, well, there's there's one on Verner. There's like two or three campuses. Oh, One's wow. on Verner. Okay. Uh, this one is closer to, uh, it's east, I guess is the best way to put it. Okay. okay. We're on the east side of town. All right. Well, they've and expanded. There's also, and there's also um, the Wayne Family Center in Westland. I almost said Wasteland. Because uh, that's what I know people people in Detroit call it Wasteland. That's what people from Wasteland. That's what people from Westland call it. They call it Yeah, wasteland. right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know that's what the people in Ypsilanti and Canton call it. Uh, <laughs> but um, it's actually interesting too because there's it's the, one of the only, maybe the only homeless shelter that um, is geared towards housing families. If you go to any other homeless shelter that I know of, they separate men and women by gender and then you have to if you have kids you got to decide if kids are going to go with mom or dad oh that's terrible so, yeah it is that's, it is that's uh, traumatic man that's, oh yeah and i could I, I mean the history of each one of these places is is pretty interesting um one of the buildings there if you go on like the well, i don't know these horror sites that list the haunted houses yeah one of the buildings there or one of the buildings uh at the far end of that campus and so not really near what the buildings they use it's abandoned uh was once the site of a sanitarium and okay. it turns out the sanitarium back when those were popular had some extremely bad practices like all sanitariums did before it came under um, before it was bought by our organization and then it's also adjacent to some or maybe even on top of some native burial grounds Mm. So talk about a double whammy. Yeah. Very, yeah, that's, very a movie, that's a movie waiting to be made. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, Danny, I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions too. I mean, you're, you're yeah. over there in, in Saginaw, Michigan. Yeah. Um, Michigan is like the third hardest hit state right now in, in the mm -hmm. union. You know, how is all of the rigmarole that's going on around COVID-19, how's that impacting the work that you guys are doing in that community center located right in the middle of a neighborhood, actually? Yeah, it's, it's right in a residential neighborhood. Um, there's a, like a CRTC, Combat Readiness Training Center, one FQHC, Federally Qualified Health Center in the neighborhood, one school, 
and then I don't know, probably about a half a dozen liquor stores. Uh, so yeah, it's a it's a rough neighborhood. Uh, you know, I've kind of said this on one of your calls before. It's one of the least educated, lowest income, highest crime rates neighborhoods in Saginaw, in Michigan, and in the country. Yeah. Um, so we we serve a lot of people through our soup kitchen. Um, we've noticed kind of a downturn in the number of people who come, but we're actually just serving meals out of our door. And then there's a coalition of different nonprofit organizations in Saginaw who are trying to um, address the crisis as best they can by pooling resources and collecting things that people could use during this crisis. So right now we're also housing things like toilet paper, hand sanitizers, a few items like that. Um, we're working on things like food distribution. We're doing a food distribution next Wednesday, um, which will be interesting because, uh, as you can imagine, the donations to food banks and soup kitchens is pretty low right now because most of that food is what's rescued from businesses, grocery stores, restaurants, and when those all close or are selling out of everything, it's hard to get your hands on that sort of thing. Yeah. So we're lucky enough to do one next Wednesday. One of the other things that we recently got involved in is workforce development. And in our workforce development programs, we were just about to hire a job coach and start that program off in March, and then all of this happened. So one of the things we're doing to, to help people under that program, and you know, it's about all we can do right now, is we're hosting a seminar next Monday and next and Friday. Um, I've got some folks who are going to do a Zoom workshop where they're uh, giving people some budgeting and financial literacy information. Hopefully people log on. I really don't have any idea what to expect, but they're going to kind of talk to them about what they can do, what they should be doing, you know, when they're about to receive some stimulus money, unemployment money, that kind of thing, so they don't blow it all on the weekend. You know, if you know anything about the hierarchy of needs when you're poor, what you spend your money on when you have it, I mean, it's a result of poverty. People... Oh, people buy spent, the things. Yeah, I mean, I spent a good portion of my life poor. I know exactly uh, how poor people spend money. Right, it's, and you know yeah. what? You you could talk about the reasons why and, and this and that all the all all you want, but the data will tell you what people spend it on when they live in poverty and they got it. Yeah. And how do you deal with that? So, yeah. honestly, um, well, you know, and I I think that for the most part, man, it's it's really survival spending. I know it always was with us. <laughs> You know, yeah. before we, I mean, we were working on different things and, and hustling and trying to, you know, move ourselves forward economically. And, mm -hmm. you know, thank, thank God we were able to do that because, I mean, you know, that, that sometimes that doesn't happen no matter how hard you work. You know, I mean, you're just kind yeah. of stuck where you're at. And, but yeah, no, I, I know, I know exactly what you, what you mean. Yeah. And, I, and you live in a perpetual state of anxiety. And now you've got all these middle class people who are now feeling that same anxiety. America made a bad decision when they decided, okay, we're going to give this amount in unemployment to everybody and this amount in stimulus money. If you would have just said, hey, whatever you were making before, that's what you're going to get now, a lot of this anxiety could have been, could have been relieved. Yeah. I don't know where, you know, the idea of $600 in addition to unemployment or $1,200 or one time, I don't know where that idea came from. It just adds to the anxiety. That idea came from the fact that there's a bunch of rich people who are also feeling anxiety about mm -hmm. uh, poor people rioting, or even better mm -hmm. yet, refusing to work for them anymore. 
because yeah. that's really what it's going to come down to, right? And mm. I mean, everybody's all like, oh, rich people are so smart and they're this and, <laughs> and you know, everybody wants to like ride their jock. But yeah. the reality is, man, is that they, they ain't rich if we don't work for them. You know, yeah, I, the reality I, is how unessential they are. Right? Even, even to their own industries that they've created, they're yeah. unessential. I mean, they're not, they're not even viruses, man. No. Fucking parasites, you know? And it's just like, but what, what really kills me, Danny, after all these years, man, is how much people fucking idolize them. You know, like they just idolize them, man. And And it's so crazy that they, you know, that the average working person, right? The average laborer just hands over their, their power to these people, you know, in, in, in terms of like letting them set the terms of their employment and, you know, when they work and how they work and whether or not they can go to the doctor. I mean, and then, you know, yeah, I don't know, man. Anyways, go ahead. I know you want to say something, brother. You got something to say probably better than me. No, no. I mean, I agree. It's just people feel powerless in those situations and I understand it. You know, we're, we live in a way that makes us feel powerless when it comes to our jobs and, you know, the resources that are available to us. What is it going to take to make people feel the power that they actually do possess? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. That's a question because I don't know. Because I'm in the same boat as you. I've been wondering that for uh, at least, what, the last uh, 25 years? I was going to say 20, 25 years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while. Well, you know um, what? What's funny is that part of one of the um, one of the offshoots of this whole thing is that I'm now find myself handling uh, at least a portion of uh, my 13 year old daughter Leona's uh, education, and so mm-hmm. it appears that one of her teachers is obsessed with the Middle Ages. Right? I'm not really sure why. I don't really get it. I don't understand like why. Like Renaissance festivals, that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, that kind of stuff. I don't understand, and I really don't understand how studying something that happened in England in you know the three thirteen hundred the you know the three hundreds the four hundreds or whatever. Who cares? Yeah. Right? Who cares? But one thing that was interesting that I read about yesterday was that um, they said that the plague, the Black Plague, the bubonic plague, was actually one of the major contributing factors to the end of the fiefdoms of serfdom. Because mm-hmm. so many people died, right? The peasants, the serfs, or whatever, they were able to actually start negotiating with the lords for their wages. And there's like all this stuff where like all these lords are like writing, you know, about how mm-hmm. terrible these serfs are and how they've abandoned, you know, their God given position, you know, of making them money. And um, <laughs> yeah. it's just like, but yeah, yeah. plague, man. I wouldn't have necessarily put that one together. So, Danny, how do you see the coordinated response in in Michigan, man? I mean, I know that you're not, I know that you're, you know, like ground level, you know, grassroots, but I mean, it's, uh, I got to tell you, I'm sitting over here in in Arizona and homie, I'm, I'm worried about my home state. It don't, it don't look good. Right. Um, So, to me, it, it, it shows this, it's, it's shown me a couple things. It's reinforced a couple things. It's taught me a few things. Number one, it's, uh, 
I mean, the, how good the response is in your area is, is very much dependent on the ground level kind of stuff. So there's all this panic right now about who needs what and people don't have the things that they need. How do you measure what people actually need and don't have? Um, so like with what I do, we're working with 211. And when somebody calls 211 and says, hey, I can't find toilet paper, um, they say, okay, we'll call the community center and they can give you a few rolls of toilet paper. So I don't know how much of our community know that they can call 211. I mean, it's, I guess it's a gauge of who has that information and knows to call. I yeah. mean, it, it, it's out there in social media. It's out there, you know, by every means that it can be put out there. So that's, that's one thing is that the way organizations, the way people determine what need is, I mean, there's a huge flaw in, 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 in the sense that, I mean, there's just no way to prove if that's correct when it comes to need. And then, you know, I mean, it's pretty arguable as to what people's attitudes are based on what you read on Facebook, but it seems to be a reflection of every other political issue. There's some people that are just so ridiculously ignorant, <laughs> you know, in the, some of the things that they say and the, some of the things that they post. Yeah. You know, in Michigan, one of the big controversies as of yesterday was you've got all these people with second homes you know, up north, who are being told don't go up north, you know, and then these people are not happy about it. They're really pissed off. Like, you can't, you know, they're saying, you know, you can't tell me, yeah. you know, I can't go up north to a property that I own, you know, nobody governs me, you know, all these kind of attitudes and stuff about it. Um, whereas, obviously, you know, if you're poor or you don't own a home up north, it's not an issue, you know, whatsoever to you. So, again, it's it's kind of you know, the, the opposite ends, you know, poor people, Hey, it's whatever rich, the, what rich people are worrying about or upper middle class are worrying about is very different from what poor people are worrying about. Obviously some of the data is showing us that people of color are being affected, you know, a lot more at a higher rate than anybody else. Um, and you know, the same issues that causes that are the same issues, you know, when it comes to poverty that we've known about for how many decades now, you know, yeah. we don't have, the same access to healthcare, you know, the the density of our urban neighborhoods is not the same as rural areas. Right. All these same issues that we knew were there already are just highlighted by all of this. There's a lot of nitpicking going on, you know, like uh, the buses in Detroit were still operating. I yeah. mean, they are still operating. I mean, what can you do? Are you going to shut them down? I don't know. Then how are some people going to get to the grocery store? Or even how, a, a, how are some essential workers going to get to work? Right. You can't shut down the Canadian border in Detroit because mm, a, a ton of the nurses and doctors that work in the Detroit hospitals live in Windsor. So, I mean, I didn't know you know, that. a lot of the rhetoric, a lot of the hyperbole that's coming from certain people. I mean, say what you want. There's just, there's just no way to shut some of this stuff down. So we're kind of a microcosm of all the, the problems that are going on around the country. But, you know, with some of them, there's just no solution. There's absolutely no solution. And I don't think after this is all over, there would ever be a solution to that sort of thing. It doesn't really seem like it. I mean, one of the things I was reading about the other day from, I want to repeat that it was from a reputable scientific source, was that in order for this to really become a non-issue, that 74 or 75% of the world uh, will have to obtain some sort of an immunity you know, to develop like that herd immunity that they're always talking about. 
but that's over the whole planet, man. I mean, that's crazy. And so, you know, I mean, for myself, in listening to these guys talk and imagining sort of like the worst, because I, I think it's probably better to imagine the worst. That way then if the worst doesn't actually happen, you know, it's better. Mm -hmm. I, at least in my mind, that works that way. They said that we're going to have, at least for the next year, that this is just going to keep happening. It might let up for a minute, but then it's going gonna, it's gonna to come raging back. Yeah until they develop this vaccine and you know until more people get it or whatever i mean it's uh it's yeah. serious man i know i, I yeah. was really surprised how right. it took yeah. off over there right and on a, okay so on, on a personal level let me kind of share with you what happened in our house and with some of my relatives okay so some friends of ours from mount pleasant their son he plays in a band and uh he went to this little burg in saginaw well, the Saginaw area called Carlton. You know, there's dozens of little birds surrounding the city of Saginaw. Saginaw is like a, a shoehorn. The city's in the middle, and then you've got a shoehorn that goes from the north end to the south end and around of little towns. One of them is called Carlton. I'm familiar uh, with Carlton. Okay, yeah, Seatown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, every bird is known for something else. Carlton is known for its bars, okay? Uh, I frequented them to play bar, to, to play darts. Food's great. There, you know, a lot of people go there and hang out. Mexicans. It's probably one of the my most diverse birds in the Saginaw County area. So we went there one night to hear their band play. Band was great. They're not set up for live music. So and her son was the singer. Our friend's son was the singer. We couldn't hear him. Had a good time, and I ran into my cousin that was there, and she was there with her. Um, her husband, you know, her second husband, who, interesting story, uh, everybody calls him my father's doppelganger because they're like twins, you know. Mm. Like, uh, when the two of them grew their beard out, I mean, you could mistake them for each other. It was kind of eerie That's how cool. much they looked like each other. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we would always joke about it. And um, so a couple weeks after that, Finise got really sick. And she went to the doctor, and they said, well, you got a runny nose. You don't, you have, you have flu because if you got a runny nose, that means you don't have COVID-19. Right. So she spent a good solid seven days really sick and it was all respiratory. You know, when you get the flu, it's respiratory or it's stomach, right? Yeah. Uh, you, and both are bad, but I mean, it was all coughing and shortness of breath and all that sort of thing. And then after a week of it, she called a doctor and was like, look, I'm not getting any better. The medicine's not helping. Something else is wrong. She went back, they changed her medicine, long story short. As soon as she switched her medicine, she started feeling better. Well, a couple days after that, I talked to um, my cousin, who we saw at the bar. Her son called me, and I grew up with her two sons. I'm lucky in that I have a bunch of cousins that I grew up with that are all around my age, and we were all friendly and just hanging around. Um, so we're, we're all pretty close. And um, he called me and said my mom and dad are, are in the hospital. And my dad's stepdad, um, I mean, he's, he's unresponsive in the sense that he's like in a coma. You know, he's intubated, he can't talk and anything like that. Yeah. My mom's coughing a lot, but she's not, um, you know, they haven't intubated or anything like that. And he said they, they just couldn't stay home. So we kind of suspect that maybe she could have gotten COVID from them. But I guess the most interesting part of the story is that when she went back to the doctor the second time, they told her, 
Well, you can go and get tested if you want, but it's not going to do any good. So you, the, your best bet is to go home, ride it out, and if you can't breathe, go to the hospital. So that gives you an idea of how little testing is going on, how you're not, how, you know, how, I don't want to say discouraged because, I mean, she could have, you know, if we insisted, we could have gone and got tested. Um, but, I mean, these numbers that you see posted every day, they're just meaningless. Yeah. The only number that matters is the number of hospital beds that are open and the number of people who need to be in a hospital. Yeah. And that's really the only number that matters in all this. Because whatever the number infected is in each state, you might as well triple it, quadruple it, whatever, because that's probably the more realistic number. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I've, uh, I've also I've come to realize that it's not a very clear indicator of actually yeah. what's happening. We've had some some interesting moments here. This is probably one of the first times in the seven years that I've lived in Prescott, Arizona, that I'm kind of glad that I live in Prescott, Arizona. <laughs> um, and it's not that, that it isn't here in Yavapai County or whatever, but it just doesn't seem to have arrived here the same way that mm-hmm. it, it has other places. And I think that part of that is the population of Prescott, the average age is, is like 65 in Prescott, Arizona. That's the average age. I think that a lot of the people here, I think they heard very early and very clearly, this really affects older people. And this place just kind of shut down, man. Which, I mean, you know, I'm not going to lie. I was I was all in favor of. We came home and we shut the door. We only been out, like I was saying earlier, man, we've only been out to uh, go to the grocery store and, and gas up the cars. So Yeah. One of the big questions I have after all this is, you know, we kind of touched on it earlier, is how many people are going to look in the mirror or really look at their situation and think, what am I going to change? What am I going to do differently? Because I got to tell you, one of the the disturbing experiences I had was right after the, you know, the stay-at-home thing came out, which was like uh, March 13th, I think, I want to say. March 14th, that day I was doing some driving around. I like to play Pokemon Go, and that's one of the things I still do. You're I love such it. a fucking nerd. <laughs> I, know, I know, I know, that's okay. You know a funny story, though, is most of the people that play are like my age. <laughs> I believe it. I'm just saying. Yeah. That's... <laughs> you know what? When I was in state, I used to have my little Game Boy, and when I lived in Spartan Village, I had that's when around the time Pokemon came out. And I would sit there at the bus stop and play it. But anyways, yeah, I, I was driving around, and every other black church I drove by had a full parking lot. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Every white church I drove by, like because it was, I'm talking about the Sunday after, so the 15th, they're all empty. Yeah, every single one. I drove by a black church the other day and had a full parking lot, and this was yesterday. Well, I'll tell you what, man. You know my family history, and when I heard that. <laughs> When I heard that Jehovah's Witnesses had shut down, I was like, oh, yeah. I'm yeah, like, it's bad. <laughs> it's the end of the world, man. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, what's yeah. going on? <laughs> and another thing about that, some of the discussion about this has been, well, it's probably been in America since December. Uh, my co- two of my coworkers both had really bad coughs in December, and they, um, one of them needed steroids to get rid of it. So the suspicion is, and I think it's probably accurate, that it's been around a lot longer than you know, the first case was reported in January. Oh, homie, um, let me let me tell you something. Yeah. I thought I was going to die in December. Mm. 
like I'm not I'm not even kidding. I I told yeah. Jess I told Jess I said Jessica I said I think I'm dying, and she was like You're not dying. She said You know, <laughs> you know like that right? And yeah. I was like I was like I know I'm probably well you know to yeah right like stop being such a baby right you know yeah. and and I totally get that and I would say when that you said that I did in her voice yeah you know? yeah it. yeah she's like stop being such a you know and so. And I think that 99% of the time that that response is totally justified. I mean, I'm just yeah. being completely honest, but this was that one time it was just like, no, yeah. I think I'm really dying. I had a terrible cough, right? I couldn't hardly breathe. I mean, like seriously, I was having a hard time breathing. I felt like shit, totally fatigued. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, a little baby could have whooped my ass in December. I mean, just, yeah. I was out of it. And so, you know, when they were talking about the symptoms, Jess and I were both like, damn, that sounds like that shit that we had in December. So, I mean, you know. Did you have it too? She get we, it too? We all had it. Okay. We all had it. Ran through the house, you know. And so, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I know I had the flu. I, I know I had the flu. But I don't know yeah. if it was that one. But I'll tell you mm. what. You know, I probably would have taken myself to the hospital even in December, but to tell you the truth, I didn't know you could go to the hospital for the flu. You know what I'm saying? So right. how about they just, you know, tell you, sucker, you got the flu, go home and, you know, lay in bed. Yeah. And, well, we, well, I mean, we've had the flu enough times that we know what to do. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, there, if it's, yeah, if it's bad enough, you got to go to the hospital. But this, I mean, this one was different. It was, I'm yeah. not going to lie. I told Jess when it was all over, I said, I see, I see how it is that people die from the flu. Like, yeah. Yeah. That was an intense episode, man. I was sick for a long time too, dude. Yeah. Yeah. A long time. Pop Did you do what you were supposed to do as far as like drinking water and you know, that sort of thing? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, and, I did. Yeah. We drink. <laughs> you don't I sound short. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, Here's a good rule of thumb. Anytime anybody in your house gets sick, okay, if you're not drinking so much water that you pee every 60 minutes once on the hour, you're not drinking enough water. Damn. As old school as, that, as some of the things that we think of when it comes to taking care of ourselves, um, that's a big one. If you're not getting, peeing once an hour, you're not flushing it out of your system. I'm getting, um, too, I'm getting too old to be peeing once an hour, man. Times, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, I have to tell you, I, can't, I honestly can't remember the last time I was sick. I felt like I was dying a few years ago, and then I found out I had sleep apnea really bad. I remember. Um, yeah. Yeah. My doctor gave me every test in the book, and then Phineas insisted I take a sleep test. So she's going to have that over me for the rest of her life. That's well, right. That's because she, she hears your. That's because she hears your ass snore at night. That's why. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, since I've got that CPAP machine, which is also like a low-key humidifier kind of in your face every night, I don't think I've been sick more than once or twice in, I don't know, two and a half years or so since I got it. It's got to be at least two years. One of the things I was thinking about, too, is, <laughs> you know, I'm assuming you guys got Netflix, right? And everybody's watching this movie, um, Outbreak. I want to watch it, but Jess won't, Jess won't let me watch it. Okay, okay, so everybody's comparing this to that and whatever. You know what this whole situation is like in terms of 
the effect it has on humans is the movie The Happening from M. Night Shyamalan. You remember that movie? The Happening. It's the movie with Mark Wahlberg, okay? And it's, um, it's the movie where people start spontaneously committing suicide because of some type of virus that's in the air and it's airborne and when you breathe it in, you automatically commit suicide. And yeah. the comparison to make in the movie is to the bees, the way the bees are dying off, right? Your body is like, you know, it's a machine. When you get sick, it creates antibodies to fight whatever's wrong with you, right? Right. Sometimes right. it wins, sometimes it loses. But it's always going to at least attempt to protect itself because that, that's what your body's designed to do. The earth is the same way. We as humans have been polluting it for so long and been on this destructive path for so long that I honestly think that this strain of coronavirus, COVID-19, is the Earth's reaction to human beings and the damage we've done to it. Yeah. Is, this is the Earth protecting itself from humanity. Honestly, I'm not trying to be negative, but I, I think we're on, a, we're on a path where if we don't deal with that, that thing, then the reckoning is coming. And I'm not trying to sound like a... Yeah, you know, I understand what you're saying. Here, but, I mean, you see, you see the parallels between the situations. I just can't help think but that, that that's what it is. Some of the things that you just said, I've, I've thought in my own mind over the past couple of weeks. And I think it's, you know, life is in some ways remarkably like movies in that you can always, you get to the end of any given situation and you look back and you think to yourself, wow, that was so fucking obvious. How come, yeah. how come we didn't see it? I think this is going to be, this is going to be one of those times, man. I mean, when you think about even the news reports of how pollution has gone down all over the world, right? Yeah. Just just in a couple of weeks, man, it's, it's gone down. But everybody, you know, nobody can be bothered in a regular situation, you know. The notice? <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. like, okay. So, yeah, I mean, I, but the I, people that are responsible for that pollution are in a position to do something about that pollution. The, the owners of industry, the, the people who create all these fossil fuels that are, that are, you know, causing this pollution, are they going to, Look at that and say, oh, huh, maybe we should stop. You know, no. No, Trump relaxed the uh, fossil fuel emissions rules, yeah. man. I right. mean, these, these guys are going for it, dude. They, they just, they do not <laughs> give a fuck about yeah, any of us. There's zero evidence that we're going to learn anything from any of this. Yeah. If you see evidence that we're going to learn, well, that those people are going to learn anything from this, please forward it to me. Send me a text. I, mean, I haven't seen it. Now, are, are we, you know, like the, the people who are suffering the most from this going to learn something from that? I guess that remains to be seen. Yeah. Well, that's all we have for today. I want to thank Danny for taking the time to speak with me. Danny is also a regular contributor to our Wednesday podcast recording, where our panel of Chicano Latino experts calls in to put that brown spin on the topic of the day. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, stay home, stay hydrated, wash your hands, and never forget, go, Pokemon, go. Hey, homie, I'm getting tired of dudes just getting over on the raza. This is for the raza, raza, raza.